Welcome to the FNO InsureTech Podcast, a place where movers and shakers from all points within the insurance ecosystem gather and discuss all things InsureTech. We talk about how technology and innovation are affecting and driving change in the industry. Here are your hosts, Lee Boyd and Rob Beller. Hey, Podcast World. Welcome to another intrepid, remarkable Election Day episode. It is. Of FNO InsureTech. It's a big day. Yep. Lee and I have been chatting each other up back and forth about the fact that today is Election Day. Of course, it won't be when you hear this. No. But it is today. And we're talking about the state of things. State of the Union. The State of the Union. Yeah. Well, yeah, we've been talking a lot about uh, the election today, and I voted. Rob is about to vote. That's what he told me. We like to okay. vote on election day. I like yeah. to vote on election day. I hope but all I, of our but listeners I mail in do. vote. I, I've, I've all through the pandemic, I mail in voted. We hope that you all voted too, regardless of what your stripes may be and what your orientations may be. We hope that you vote because the most important thing that we do as Americans is that yeah right? such an honor to be able to do that to see other countries who don't have that choice don't have that right uh, it is neat to go out and exercise that and there's so much screaming and so much yelling and so much back and forth about this and what we need to appreciate is that this is a fabulous thing that we get to do mm-hmm. right that we get to express our voice and so i hope you all did that today and now we'll talk about why you're listening to this podcast. To get smarter. Which is not to see if Lee and I are are blue or red. Or, or, or purple green. Or green. That's right. Or, or on a wave or not on a wave. No, it's it here be. to talk about insured tech and all things in the insured tech ecosystem. This is true. Just like the little intro says. Yeah. My wife asked me if, if we have a theme song. I was like, Obviously, you've never listened. There's a theme song that gets played at the beginning of each episode. Anyways, we have with us today, Ali Savavi, a two-timer. He's been on this podcast two times and joins the small handful of InsurTech professionals who have joined us more than once. And it's great to have Ali here. He is now the CEO and co-founder of Kovu. Yeah. And I mean, that's where it is now. It's a pivot story. We're going to get to learn all about what he's been doing over the past four years since he's been on the podcast, how he went from a a, a generator to starting his own company to pivoting and and building this this platform that's used in the insurance world. And it's a great episode. He's a delightful guest, a very smart guest. Very smart. I'm excited to talk to him today. Very smart guy. Was at Plug and Play, the incubator for some time and ran the insurance practice, which was the largest vertical there, and said, you know what? I got to do this for myself. And he went out and he has started a company and has assembled an amazing team with a very, very interesting product. So without further ado, we are going to this election day, one-time election day episode with Ali Savavi, the co-founder and CEO of Kovu. Hey, everybody. We are here with a two-timer, Ali Safavi, who comes to us today from the Bay Area, right? Correct. SF. 
who was for a long time ran the InsureTech practice at Plug and Play in Silicon Valley. Big, huge job. And then he's now with Kovu. He's the co-founder and CEO of the company, and he's back with us today. Welcome back. We're thrilled to have you. Welcome back. Thank you so much for having me again, and happy birthday, Lee. <laughs> Thank you. At least somebody on this podcast said that. Thank you. Oh, hey, wow. no, Rob oh. told me he gave it a cue. He just wanted to set it up. It was all coordinated <laughs> for the podcast. That's right. We'll, we'll talk about that at another time, because now is Ali's time. It's his turn. This That's is his, right. his turn. That's right. It's his turn, not your turn. Okay. <laughs> so don't be selfish. Hey, it's his birthday. I'm more than happy to share. <laughs> All right. Okay. Should we sing a little happy birthday? Or? No, I don't think so. Do I don't think so. Yeah, we could do it in three different languages. <laughs> oh, that's go. cool. Uh, not that English language, but I'm just saying we can. We could I can do it in Spanish. <laughs> All right. I'll try to do it in Farsi. Cool. Ready? Let's yeah, hear it. Which one do you want to go with? Let's go with Farsi. We've never done that one. You done a full version or just a light version? Just the beginning. Just a light. All right. Yeah. Tavalot, 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 it's Moborak, 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 tavalot, it's Moborak, Biosha, Morofut, Korn, Tasasas, and the Boishi. And it keeps going. I could go all That is fantastic. Yeah. And I did the whole, you know, the shimmy shimmy. You had the whole thing going. Yeah. That was awesome. That was awesome. Thank you for that. There's a birthday present you don't get every day. You don't get that every day. Thank you. Thank you for whatever it's worth. Beautiful. Wonderful. That, that was that, wonderful. That was outstanding. Made my day. Welcome back. I mean, there's so much to talk about with you. Before we started today, we were just having the whole big, long conversation about InsureTech historically and what really is InsureTech 2.0, et cetera. And maybe we'll get to that towards the end. But first, I want to talk about Kovu and the interesting, unique product that you have there and why in the heck you would do something like that when you had such an awesome job that everybody would walk away and say, he's so lucky. He's so lucky to have a job like that. And so let's start with Kovu. Tell us what Kovu is, and then let's take a step back to the the evolution. Let me start with the story, because the story makes it a lot easier for me to explain what it is now. Great. Great. Okay. Love um, stories. So back in 2019 or so, when we chatted, we were talking about like what we think the vision for insurance is and the idea for insurance, the future, and so on. And that was the kind of genesis of what got me to leave Plug and Play and kind of create Vero, which basically became Kovu. To reemphasize on the story is, I think there was two or three main principles that really got me fascinated, which one was insurance at its core is a very noble concept. It's us coming together, helping one another. I think a lot of people talk about it, a lot of people know it, but when you go very deep, like to the jobs to be done, like why people started insurance at the beginning, it was a very, it's like, it's like us helping each other. That's, that was all it was. So it's a very noble concept. And to me, it's one of the most noble concepts that are out there. I mean, how many concepts are more noble than let's just help each other if any of us has a problem? All right. It doesn't feel that way, though. So that was one gap that I felt is interesting. The second thing was that um, we had a thesis around the future of insurance. And I remember giving examples of companies back then that are tackling that in different models. And that's the idea of that if we want to truly reimagine insurance, and that's why we keep saying reimagining insurance with Kovu, truly reimagine insurance, we need to go back to the jobs to be done, which is back then, all they could do is to write down names on a piece of paper and then say, we're sharing the risk and, you know, what happens, uh, we'll just, you know, 
divide the profits or the risk, all that. But yeah. now we have much more technology. We have a lot more data. We have a lot more capability to do a lot more with it. And I think not much has changed from the core concept. But with I, like with cyber insurance, for example, with cybersecurity, you kind of see that people are starting to talk about like mitigation. They're slowly starting to talk about recovery. There's a lot more to insurance than just financial identification. And mm-hmm. at Polygon Play, we build a thesis that the future needs to be about holistic risk management. Is how do I understand your risk and how do I help you manage that risk as opposed to just sell you auto insurance? And that basic concept was what I was very passionate about or excited about because I felt like, look, the concept is noble. It's a good cause. I feel good about working on this. And from the other side of it is that I think there's a lot more to it in the future than just selling auto insurance to people, for example. And then the third principle, which was important, was that, look, no matter what the future is, it always starts with distribution. We need to start, we need to become the trusted advisor for millions of people so that we trust us to give the recommendations to them around their risk management. And that takes time. No one is looking for a risk solution. Oh my gosh. That's, that's a big task. I know. Ambitious. And that's why it took us a few years to be able to, how do we even really go about it? But the idea was grand, right? The vision is grand. It's big. It requires a lot. So why I love plug and play? Because I felt like no one is doing it. And I want to, I want to give it a shot. I I felt like, look, I'm passionate about it. I mean, I don't know how, you know, if I'm the best person in the world for it, but I, at that point was like, look, I'm excited about this. No one else is doing it. Let me go and give it a shot. And obviously I have a good network of people, advisors, very smart, talented people that I could pull together to kind of help with this. So I left, started Vero. Vero means true or transparent in Italian, which is the idea of a holistic, transparent risk advisor that I go to customers and just say, hey, Rob, let me understand all the risk you have in life. And obviously the thesis was, look, insurance industry is based on data. So they're using risk models to price you. So let's use the same risk models to advise you. So it's like, we know the risk, we understand it, but... To me, it was like, why am I as an insurance company? Someone is asking me, how much auto insurance do you want? I'm like, you're the insurance company. You're the best expert on risk. You should tell me how much auto insurance I need. Mm-hmm. Because you understand the risk because you're pricing me based on it. So the idea of democratizing that knowledge to give people an understanding of what the risks are and how do we, how should they manage it was the, basically the basis of Vero. The things that we learned throughout the process and the things that we got wrong, basically, was that one... No one is looking for a risk solution today. <laughs> no one is out there saying, look, I need to get my risk managed. That sounds so obvious. But at the same time, we felt like, look, with some education, we'll be able to change people's minds. We'll explain it to them. But I just realized that the, the whole way that people think about risk and insurance is just very, it's not logical. It's more emotional. And people know this, people in the insurance industry. So go ahead. When you say people, you're talking about the insured. You're talking about the buyer of the consumer of insurance. That's correct. Yes. Okay. So when you look at like, for example, people buying, why do people not buy disability insurance? I mean, it's, it's not logical. It's more like people are wired to buy life insurance. They're not wired to buy disability as much. And yeah. it's, it's interesting. I spoke to a lot of people about it. It was like to understand the psychology of it. And I realized there's no logic behind it. I mean, I told my friends, like you have a 25% chance of having a disability in your life. They're like, okay, so I have a 75% chance that nothing's going to happen to me. I'm like, that's true. But then why are you buying life insurance? Like, I mean, you have a one out of 10 has a chance to die this year. I mean, mm-hmm. statistically it makes no sense. But again, I think people are just wired to buy some stuff. I'm not wired to buy the other stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the second piece was that we realized, look, we need to slowly educate them to go there. And we can't start the value with that. 
The second thing that we learned was that B2C wasn't as exciting as, <laughs> as we thought because a few facts. One, 90% of all insurance distribution is offline. It's just sitting with agencies. They're not even looking for insurance online. Two, most customers you find online tend to be basically the price shoppers or the people that are not looking for advice or engagement. Mm-hmm. And, and then the, the other aspect that we learned was it didn't matter how good our AI recommendation was. People still want to talk to someone. I mean, our thesis was like, we will give them a report. They would read it and they will understand what their insurance needs are. I'll, we would show them a report. They would spend one second on it because they were too lazy to read anything on it. But mm-hmm. I would sit down and explain it to them. I would get one hour of their time and, you know, basically would convince them to make the right decision by just mm-hmm. holding their hands and saying the same thing in the report, but just that human component. To the average consumer of insurance, it's complicated and a place where they never spend any time. So they don't even understand what the terms are that, exactly. that, that you're discussing. I mean, there's a lot to learn. Yes. And, and at the same time, I don't think people want to learn that, to be honest. Like, I mean, <laughs> I think everyone has better things to do than to like learn everything that goes into their policy or everything that is in the contract to have with an insurance company. There's a certain amount of education, but I think it's a better approach to just let someone who knows what they're doing that you could trust manage that for you. So you don't have to go and figure all that out. With all these learnings, we realized yeah. Vero needs to shift to working with insurance agencies because... With an insurance agency, you already have distribution. That's where 90% of the market is. They already have a trusted relationship with the customers that it's kind of engaging because it's PNC and, you know, is renewing and all that. And uh, more importantly, I mean, you have that human factor of, uh, you know, that allows you to provide advice uh, in a way that the AI just can. I mean, the AI has a very good way of giving very good advice, but it misses a human component. And I think that balancing, the, the merging the two together, it's where you really have powerful advice in a way that people understand, comprehend, and take action on. And that's how COVID was really born. Is that what, what you're doing? You're taking this, this risk information, handing it off to the agents, and then letting them make the sell? Is that how that works? So it's a little bit more complicated than that. So there was an AI intelligence system that it's a holistic risk manager or risk advisor. It uses AI to be able to understand your risk profile and make recommendations on what you should get. And then slowly over time, move that towards risk management, which we build a blueprint for it, like even giving you recommendations on risk mitigation, giving you recommendations on self-financing risk and all that. With Kovu, we had to figure out a way to provide enough value to agencies in a way that we could work with them. And just the advice piece is not enough. What we had to do is to build an all-in-one platform that allows them to manage their entire agency operation in conjunction with the AI that has the advice piece to be able to do this. It's not just AI piece. It's, a, it's basically an end-to-end platform, which does have even a human component in it, like the call center, back office, and all that, so that we could manage an agency's operation uh, for the agent. Uh, so that, you know, and then we use the AI to also provide recommendations and so on. But Co is an all-in-one platform. I see. So it's a platform play. That's how you bring them in with all this smart stuff going on. But you're trying to make the life of the agency relationship here, you're trying to make it easier. Absolutely. I mean, I mean, the thing is that we spend a lot of time understanding because we understood for the only thing that makes sense and the biggest opportunity for us in a way that we saw it is to work with agencies because they have the customers, all that reasons, all the reasons that I mentioned. And we think if we could manage work with enough agencies, you know, obviously we're talking about hundreds of billions of dollars right now that we could work with through these agencies. Sure. You basically have a lot of power and in a way of, you know, reimagining insurance and giving advice to, you know, very, very large people and the vision and mission that I said initially. 
And um, then the question was, what's the value that we have to provide to these agencies? And we spent a lot of time understanding that. We learned that agents are very, I want to say like they're not, their time is not being used in the most productive way because as they grow all their time shift from selling policies to just maintaining their book and servicing clients in a very inefficient, inefficient way because there's a lot of manual work with insurance companies. And if we could streamline all these processes and do all this work for them, we could open up our time, which is a massive value for them. Uh, we could make sure their time is however they want to spend it. I mean, they could go sell more or they could just work less. It's up to them. And that we could modernize the entire operation. And then we use the AI and everything else to also improve the book performance by cross-selling the book, upselling the book and everything else. So this is kind of carrier agnostic, right? It doesn't really matter who they're writing for. No. It's because what you're interested in or what you're advising on is are probably our lines of business. This customer needs this product. It's it's exactly that. It's like because I mean, again, you look at an agency operation, 80% of it is a lot of times customer calls in, I want to change a policy or I want to get a quote or whatever. And a lot of it is just tasks that could be automated. And we just tell them, look, we'll take all this from you. And we do even manually if we have to. And then we automate it with you and all that. But yeah, it's carrier agnostic. It's nothing to do with the carrier. It's more about focus on the cost. It's more focused on providing value to the customer and then obviously the agency partner. So what are the nuts and bolts of how it works? Does an agent have a prospect or a customer and they create a profile in Kovu and then Kovu takes that and with the AI gives them back a prescription? The best way to think about it is this. Imagine, Rob, you have an insurance agency and you know, let's say you have 1,000 customers around... I don't know, like 5 million GWP um, under management. Mm -hmm. We come to you and say, look, we'll help you manage your existing customer base. So all the thousand customers, when they call in, Kovu would help you with processing those requests and getting those jobs done. And again, a big part of this, we still have to do manually today until we could automate more and more and more because also we learn a lot of customers still want to talk to someone on the phone for a lot of the tasks that doesn't have to be the producer. So we, it, a lot of it is like running the agency operation for the agent and we provide a solution to them. It's not just a product. It's not just tech. It's the solution. So they could just be rest assured that this is taken care of. And then we use technology, the AI and everything else to keep doing that more efficient with better customer experience, obviously a lot more streamlined. And then slowly over time with the AI to keep increasing the kind of services, products and offerings that we provide to the customers together with the agency. So how is it going? Is it going well for you? Yeah, it's going very well. I mean, we uh, we were in beta for most of 2022 and we finally launched in August and we've been growing pretty fast. That's exciting. Who is your main audience? Is it larger agents? Is it independent agents? Who are you after? So Kovu is a platform at the end of the day. So it means that we connect customers, agencies, and insurers for the most part. So we do have, you know, obviously... We have products that are focused on insurance agencies and customers separately. Yeah, uh, The customers are going to be through agencies. We don't have right. like a direct B2C channel, but it's like the customers of agencies. The agent is still the owner, but obviously the products that are facing the customers. But from an agency perspective, our target is independent PNC agencies that are small to medium size. So the mom and pop shops, you know, as I said, someone with 10 million, 20 million, 30 million, even maybe as small as few million in premium. That is struggling with all the you know day-to-day -day operation, wants to modernize the book, wants to like spend less time servicing and all that. And we could just come and do the whole thing in one place. So the agent could just focus on sales, growth, advice, you know, kind of the high value items. I'm interested in your marketing and sales and how you guys are channeling that. 
how are you reaching the agents to even talk to them about this? So we do have some partnerships in place with you know, strategic partners and people that have um, kind of like work with multiple agencies or hundreds of agencies and so on. But in addition mm-hmm. to that, we kind of hire people with relations. I mean, they were either territory rep for insurance companies mm-hmm. or they just have connections to hundreds, pers- hundred personal relationships with agencies. And our model is not like a mat. Is we don't have a model like agency SaaS models where you just sell to one agency. You know, like it's not a volume play. It's more like one agency. It's big for us. It's we are very selective about which agencies we work with or we want in our platform because we're managing an entire book, and we only need two hundred agencies or so to even get as much as like a billion dollars under management. So it's 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 more like a you know like we're select we're very selective about agencies that we kind of partner with. But then once we do it, we're all in and you know, we're very hands-on and kind of modernizing the entire operation and so on. And then over time, it's going to be open up to more and more of the market. But in the beginning, it's a little bit more selective. Sure. But I could see how like having good relationships with a carrier or some kind of partnership with carriers who are represented by large numbers of independent agents would be advantageous. Absolutely. I mean, that is, definitely talking to some about the idea of like a distribution partnership, but we're exploring that yet. As I said, because we don't have a distribution problem, to be frank, about like getting to agencies to have a dialogue with them. Uh, we do have a very strong kind of pipeline because the value is just not like a no-brainer for an agency, which is, look, for, for less than what you're spending on, you know, all this back office work and operational work, we could come in, manage your book for you. We could modernize your entire stack so you don't have to worry about going out of business. And we'll grow your book and profits, which should be a no-brainer for you. I mean, why would an agency not want to do this? So you're kind of a ghost back office. It's that plus more, but back office models is probably one of the closest ones that I could I could relate to. But mm-hmm. it's more it's, because the model doesn't exist exactly like this. It's it's hard to pinpoint at one and say is this. It's kind of like a combination of what like an you know a, a few of these models look like. But back office would be a close one. And so you guys are using tech. To be able to not only do this effectively, but to scale. That's Absolutely. where it comes And in. a better customer experience. More importantly is that we think, and this is why we like small, medium agencies, because we think 80 to 90% of these activities could be automated, which could be done uh, without a human involvement, straight through processing. Now, you've put together a pretty robust team already. That's what I'm most proud of, yeah. Yeah, as you should be. I mean, there's there's some recognizable names and stunning backgrounds. Share with us a little bit about your team and about how you got that done. When we went from Vero to Kovu, that's when my newest co-founder joined at Tassos, who I have to give a big shout out to. He has 30 or 40 years of experience operating models that are similar to this in different countries. He, you know, he was at Allianz before and different global sales and marketing roles. And kind of like going, you know, basically like greenfield businesses for Allianz. And then he went to WeFox for a period of time, going to help them scale. And then he went to Revolut. So very experienced insurance executive with, you know, experience similar to this. He played a major role in kind of helping us shape the playbook because it's a very complex playbook, to be frank. I mean, there's a lot of details that goes into this. And then through there, we kind of clean up the playbook and then started adding our all the other executives, which we brought like Charles, who... Charles Dalnoti, he he's our COO. Um, he obviously helped set up QBE's function in the Philippines for all the service work. Oh wow! We brought Chaitanya from John Hancock. She built a lot of the infrastructure there, and we brought, brought Phil came over from Dock Creek and IBM, and a lot of heavy hitters um, who joined our company who actually specialize in this model. 
Did your background at Plug and Play help in accessing these people and, and, course, and these relationships? I met Tossus um, uh, during my Plug and Play days um, and, and a few of the other folks that we have now on the team. But yeah, for sure. I mean, relationships go a long way. Uh-huh. So when you were at Plug and Play, how did you get on this idea? It must have grown out of that time and that experience. It definitely did. I think uh, the thesis that we built around the future of insurance, around obviously the, the mission, the vision, the nobility, the importance of distribution, all played a major role. I think for me also it was a personal thing, which was I kind of kept wondering why do I not like, I mean, again, disability is one of the most fascinating products. Like why did any, why didn't anyone tell me I need disability? <laughs> like why didn't anyone tell me that I need uh, this or that? And you know, I don't, I, I didn't feel like I'm getting that. Or I asked my friends, no one else felt like they're getting in. And I think the whole idea of like, look, this is a good cause, but no one, sees insurance, not always in the best of lights, it's, it's something that I just got super you know, passionate about and started pursuing. The last time you were on, we talked about tech and we talked about what was going on and trends. Is that something you're still staying up to date with, with what's going on in the world of tech? Of course. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's I mean, <laughs> I can't be an insurtech CEO and not keep an eye out for what are the trends. Not keep an eye on it. How have things progressed compared to the way you thought that they would progress? Um, so let me let me start with a disclaimer. So at Plug and Play, I had the luxury of getting pitched every day, you know, by multiple companies. Um, so the insights were just much better. But then what I'm trying to do, this is my, my cheat code, is as I'm talking to VCs or investors, even the Plug and Play folks, to be frank, I try to ask them, it's like, what are you seeing? And, and kind of trying to see, put together a pattern from there. And obviously a lot of my connections, I mean, a lot of the founders that we invested in are serial entrepreneurs. Now they exited one, they went to another one and everyone has their opinion and just being in the space to talk to folks. We were talking about it before we start recording. I think the, one of the more interesting ones was MGAs because I remember when MGAs got started, I wasn't super bullish on it, to be frank, because I felt like, okay, this is, you know, it's, it's interesting, but you, you're going to struggle with distribution. But then when I started seeing uh, how they're being, valued because MGAs were basically getting valued at a multiple on GWP. They were being priced like a SaaS company at times, which mm-hmm. is, is, you know, on a 10, 20% margin, you know, on, on the GWP, it's just, it was super fascinating. And I felt like some MGAs or insurtechs, full set carriers, they're underpricing the market and growing fast, which is obviously like, if I go to a customer and say, I'll give you 50% cheaper auto insurance, everyone's going to buy it. Is sure. It's not a sustainable model though. I felt horrible. I felt like I missed out on the MGA wave. And, you know, we did Im- investments in some, but then we were like, oh my God, I got this so wrong. Why not investing in all these companies? But I think obviously that changed later because people started asking questions about the profitability and sustainability of businesses. And obviously there was a lot of correction. In some cases, I think overcorrections in valuation. So that's one of the most obvious changes I saw. But I think there were learnings about why MGAs could be more interesting than digital agencies. Uh, one being people realized integrations with insurance companies is just, it's just way down the line. It's, it's not going to happen anytime soon, which as an MGA, you have a lot more control over that digital experience. And that's why mm-hmm. still to this day, a lot of people pursue MGAs. Uh, but I think one big difference is a lot of people acknowledged or realized that the opportunity here is not just digital because digital itself is not like the most when you look at like, you know, obviously the expense ratio of an insurance company, the OPEX is not the biggest cost that you're trying to get rid of. So when you look at price saving, there's a lot more than to it than that. 
Um, so people started looking at like, how do we leverage better data or better distribution to kind of create new products or go after niche products? So there are evolutions to it, but, and obviously now, as you mentioned, there's a lot more insurance talent that has come up, uh, which means they could go after more specialized plays that to an outsider doesn't come off as obvious. Um, that's been interesting. I I think another trend that has also been interesting is also people who were part of an insure tech who learned a lot and then left that insure tech and started an insure tech. So they weren't the founder of an insure tech, but they were just working at InsureTech, got all the learnings from it, and then started another company. So all this InsureTech talent, in addition to the insurance talent and the non-insurance or InsureTech talent, is also like creating a lot of new opportunities. So there's a lot of that going on that is interesting. But to say like outside of like so maybe like the MGA market corrections and so on, um, or so, the, the, how hard distribution is compared to initially what people thought, uh, I don't know what else I could think of right now in terms of what we got wrong. Oh, one thing that I also didn't expect. I didn't expect this many cyber insurance to be honest. That one I probably. probably oh yeah, I didn't. Cyber insurance. I mean, I, and I, cyber is a hot space. Everyone get it, but very the number of cyber insurance that are still being incorporated or starting today. That's also probably surprising. I didn't expect this many cyber insurance even today to happen because even back then we felt like oh, there's so many cyber insurance, but now there's still more that are getting started every year. How do you explain that? What what what's your thought there? I'm not the best cyber insurance expert, but I did I did ask the, that question for many people. I think a lot of people see it also as evolution of cyber insurance and cyber insure tech. People know that the market is growing. I think uh, the market growth is not a question. I think a lot of people feel insurance companies are not positioned to really win that market, mm-hmm. and a lot of people also feel that the initial cyber insure techs got some stuff wrong, and you know, by coming up with a new method of for like underwriting risk or a new method for the security aspect of cyber, they would be able to create a better value for the end customers. Um, so I think that has a large factor. So you have so many talented cybersecurity folks, let's say, who just feel like, hey, I have a better insight than coming up with a cyber product that could also have an insurance aspect than, you know, a non-cybersecurity expert. So let's talk about you for a minute. I mean, you didn't just pop up one day and lead the InsureTech uh, practice at at Plug and Play. L- l- tell us about your background. How did you get into this? We were talking before about how in earlier InsureTech, what we were calling 1.0, that there were a lot of non-insurance people in it. But but that you're not a non-insurance guy, are you? I'm a non-insurance guy for sure. Oh, really? Yeah, I'm an engineer with training. I had nothing to do with insurance. Like the way that I got started with insurance at Plug and Play was super random. I mean, it was, I joined Plug and Play and our CEO, the founder of Plug and Play one day, and Plug and Play was much smaller. So it wasn't, it wasn't what it looked like now. I mean, I remember our daily standups, we had like 10, 15 people in the meeting. That was it. And then at the time, like now it's probably five, 600 people that you know, are in one meeting. But back then, um, I was just in a meeting and our CEO was like, could you, help look into insurance. I was good at research because I had a, you know, I had like a lot of publications and papers and so on. And I told him, I was like, look, I have no passion for insurance, to be honest. Like I, I'm an engineer. Let me do IoT or something. I mean, I don't want to do insurance, but just do it for now till we find someone. I actually started looking into it. And that's when I started appreciating insurance. And obviously the plug and play insurance became pretty successful. I mean, within plug and play, it became the largest practice within the first year. Wow. And so, you had no passion for it, and here you are, super passionate. What happened? I, I, I think I learned about insurance. Like insurance is not the sexiest industry, I and mean, now it, 
maybe I'm biased, but I mean, there's a lot of insurances. Back then, there weren't that many people talking about insurance innovation and insurance generally from an outside perspective is not a sexy industry like retail or travel or mm -hmm. now blockchain and web 3.0 and NFTs. That's why it's not the first thing people think about when it comes to changing the world. But then once you go into it, you realize what a massive opportunity it is. And I think I, what I used to tell people is like, it's like Wizard of Oz, you know, it's, there's this curtain and there's something behind it that just, you know, you give premium to and gives you cash back and right. you just don't question it. But then when you remove that curtain, you kind of start realizing what's going on. And then once that curtain is removed, people are putting a microscope on every inch of it and trying to figure out how to innovate it or how to improve it or what opportunities are there. And that's what happened with InsurTech. I mean, don't you think with that thought that you just expressed that like the future of it is so exciting? Oh, for because sure. you have so many, I mean, more InsurTechs that, that neither you or I could list out there running around, chasing down, some chasing very small, narrow problems. When all of this gets applied over the next decade, two decades, don't you think insurance looks very different in the future? For or, sure. or do you think it just runs different? I mean, the essential idea of insurance doesn't change. Does it? That's the part that, as I mentioned, like I started with a thesis of the future, which the thesis was, to me, future is about risk management as opposed to just insurance. It's the idea of how do I understand your risk? I mean, insurance, the way that it works today is like, hey, I have an auto insurance product. You have a car. Buy my auto insurance product, which is a package policy. Buy this. To really reimagine it, this is how we have at least approach it is I want to understand what risks you have in life that are pure loss or pure risk. And I want to help you manage that risk as opposed to just sell you an auto insurance. And to manage the risk, part of that solution could be financial identification through an auto insurance policy, but there's a lot more to it than just that. So maybe the core concept of insurance does not change because insurance has a specific meaning, but the idea of risk management, which is the broader kind of like perspective here, I think that's going to change. I think that needs to change. I think w the way that it looks like today is the same that it was in the 1600s. There's new risks, there's new demand, there's new tools, there's much better ways to manage risk. And I think this is why cyber insurance is exciting because cyber is a tech kind of risk. There's a lot more, it's a lot easier to manage that risk. And, but it's a good example of what's possible when it comes to insurance. No, I think that's a great point and something that I've never thought about. I mean, if you took every person in this country every adult in this country, and you gave them an hour with a consultant to say, here's my life, here's my properties, here's my assets, et cetera. What should I have? I bet the number is stunning, like 90% would not be properly insured. Oh, more. Right? Yes. No, we actually did a study on that. Uh, just Let's just say home. 65 to 70% of homes in the US are underinsured. That's core logic numbers. Just home insurance. I'm not talking about umbrella. I'm not talking about liability. Because liability is like 90% of people or something. It's like a crazy number, especially on a high mm -hmm. network. I mean, but home insurance alone, because the the price to reconstruct the house, house has gone up, but no one has gone and changed their kind of like you know policy limits, and that's where 65% of homes in the U.S. are underinsured. Life insurance, two or three estimates, there's a 20 trillion dollar gap just the U.S. in life insurance gap or income gap. So the numbers are just massive. I mean, people are generally massively underinsured. Do you think you can crack that 
nut? I, I know that was one. It's one of the things that I wrote down here as we've been talking. I mean, do you really think you can get people to listen to that? Yes. Because, like you said, I have a car. You have a policy. Let's get together. That's what Kovu is started for. Exactly. So. We tried to do that with Vero. We realized playbook of going direct to people with this doesn't work. That's exactly what Vero did. It would analyze your risk using actuarial models and, you know, obviously AI. And then it would give you recommendations on what to do. And then when you're talking about what to do, it's not just the idea of auto insurance. It could be like you have a risk of earthquake. In addition to buying earthquake insurance, because the deductibles are so high, put some money in your savings. And in addition to right. it, also right. prepare like a kit. So that you could, you know, like you're ready for an earthquake event. Risk mm-hmm. management is a lot more than just financial investment. Right. It's more than what what insurance do you should you buy? So what I learned throughout that process, and this is why COVID was born, is that you don't go to people and tell them, do this. You start off of a relationship that exists. And this is why insurance agencies are so fascinating, because they have that relationship with a the customer. They uh-huh. have their trust. And on renewal basis, on the yearly basis, similar to when you go to a doctor, you do an annual checkup with customers. And we realized over 50% of customers want to do an annual checkup. And they were complaining that their agent is actually not doing the annual checkup. Right. Because agents don't make money from an annual checkup, typically speaking. Right. A lot of time mm-hmm. to reshop everything and so on. So by automating it and providing the AI and the technology and the capability, we make customers happy because they feel good. They feel peace of mind that they've done something about the topic that they don't think about generally. And the agents, because they feel like they could get this done, potentially get cross-sell opportunities and so on, which most of the times they do, uh, without having to do, do a lot of work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I love that. I think, I, I really think that you're on to something here. Um, as, as a consumer of insurance, but as somebody who's, you know, I'm a, I mean, I'm a grown man, right? Or a, a grown person. And I, I, I'm concerned about, Am I properly uh, protecting my family? I mean, it's really what it comes down to. And it, it was interesting. Like when towards uh, the end of my time, I plug and play. I used to ask this question from a lot of insurance executives who are visiting us. And I realized most insurance executives have no idea if they're probably protected. Most insurance executives have no idea kind of what risks they have and the location. They're buying these solutions for their insurance company. But for themselves, they have no idea what risk that household has. Like, do you have an earthquake risk, a flood risk? They have an idea of it, but not really, they don't really know their numbers. And that's why when we used to, when we do these annual checkups and these reviews, most people actually enjoy the idea of learning something new about, you know, their life and the situation and they feel a lot better. So is the annual checkup that something comes to them like in an email as an attachment? I mean, is it a, is it a a document of sorts that they can read through to do that so or we learned uh, as we first started with the document we realized people still want to talk to someone so it's a lot better if you put together a document because an agent also uh, as good as agents are um i mean it's hard to know about like all the risks someone has it, how you should talk to them all that so the, what we learned is the best approach is to put together the package of what needs to be discussed with the customer what is their best protection options and have a human go through that with them so that you could advise them, answer any questions they have, and so on. So it was a combination of human plus what the AI generates. Right. Because, I mean, I would think that in most cases, certainly over half, the AI is going to have a recommendation. You Here's something you should think about or do. Right? Yeah. No, I mean, almost all, in every case. I haven't seen a case that the AI didn't manage to improve the protection. Right. And so, and there, and there is a, you know, a, a glaring cross-sale opportunity. 
right there. Course, yes. Like usually what we learn is there's at least two or three cross sell at the minimum opportunities. But if it's beyond three, we typically tend to do it in, you know, not all at once because obviously people get overwhelmed. So then I'm interested in this. So you're, you're cruising along at Vero. Did you have a dream one night where you said, you know what, we're going down the wrong channel here. We need to veer a little to the right and we have the right idea, but we're trying to sell it to the wrong person. So Rob, let me, let me, let me tell you this. One of the most interesting lessons I've learned throughout this journey, a startup to me, especially in the initial phases, is one big hypothesis and a bunch of little hypotheses. And another thing that I picked up along the way, if I don't know where I learned it from, 90% of hypotheses are usually wrong. That's the name. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so the way to approach it is that you have to have your hypothesis and go and prove it to yourself and then try to convince the world about your hypothesis. So with very weird hypothesis that we were bullish on like proving to the world that is the right hypothesis. And then once we went to the market, we spoke to a lot of customers, uh, understood how the market operates and how distribution works. We realized we're just knocking on the wrong door. I mean, the right door is working with agencies and not online. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially the the trust piece, you know. Yeah. Um, which is, uh, I mean, we 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 could do a, we could do a whole series of podcasts just on the concept of trust, but to be able to capital, but to be able to see, I, I have to congratulate you to be able to see the importance of trust, and then also to identify where it already exists that you can. And I want to say this nicely, that you could leverage, right? That was insightful. Congratulations on that. And it also provides, improves the trust with agencies because most agents now, because I mean, most agents are great, but there are agents that are not always going to say something that's in the best interest of the customer, either intentionally or unintentionally, to be frank. Uh, Because I mean, I went through the licensing process. I mean, the licensing process is, it's a lot of basic stuff. I mean, how do you expect someone to become a risk expert? by just getting an insurance license. So, yeah. so the AI also makes sure that the recommendations are in customer's best interest in a very kind of non-biased way. Uh, that's why the combination is just so powerful. It's like you make sure, and the, and the trust with the agent also improves so that the agent says, look, this is not my recommendation. This is what your data is saying, but let me explain it to you. And that is the powerful conversation that we uh, are delivering now. I love this because you know, I, I frequently, when we have guests on who are involved in any line of business that's kind of similar to yours or touches on where you do, and that's with the agent. I mean, my agents, I never hear from. Yeah. The bill comes, right? But I don't hear from them. It would be great for them to say, hey, you know what? Have you ever considered this? Or maybe you need an umbrella or whatever. Once, once a year, I mean, anything, anything. And, and I'm not even one of those people that says, oh, I pay all this money and I get nothing in return because I understand it's, you know, I'm at the roulette table every day with insurance, but I love the contact with people and it's not overwhelming. I mean, if it's an annual checkup, it's not like hearing from getting email after email to, to the point where I want to unsubscribe, but rather here's this one important or two important touch points in a year that matter. Love that. So one thing that was super interesting for us was that from an agent's incentive, the agent is incentivized to have the least amount of interaction with you as a customer, incentive-wise. Why? Because it's a cost. They don't make money from it unless there's a cross sell out of it. 
mm-hmm. that's what we learned with the agencies. It's like they actually want the customer to call them and not to, I'm not saying like, it's just like they don't make money from it. I mean, it's a lot of work. They have to spend hours on getting a task done. But at the right. same time, as an insure tech, as a software company, we love engagement because opportunities mm-hmm. come from engagement. It comes That's from right. points. So it's right. a, it's, the incentives are just so aligned. They don't want to do the work for service. We love doing the work for service because that's how I provide value to customers and that how uh-huh. they get their attention. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that was a big aha moment from us. And that's another thing that we picked up from the surveys was that actually customers want to hear from their agent every now and then on checkpoints and so on. And agents just told us like, look, this is a lot of work for us. And the ROI is so small. That's why I don't want to do it. And we were like, okay, we'll do it for you. You don't have to worry about it. Beautiful. I love that. And as somebody who works, I mean, my real job is, you know, in sales, marketing and account management. I mean, I love every, and and everything you just said is a hundred percent true, right? If there's no engagement, then you find out after the fact that they went and bought something and you're like, well, why didn't you buy it from me? And they, I didn't know you sold it or what, what have you. And so, uh, this is great. And speaking of engagement, we love engaging with you and, and, uh, for the second time. And, and I, I didn't tell you this at, at the, uh, at the top, but, um, the, when we first had you on the podcast, we had just started, right? Yeah. I remember and, it was like, I think five, I don't know. It was, it, maybe it was early, like top in the first 10 episodes, maybe. And we didn't know nothing. I mean, we still don't know nothing. Right. Which is obvious by anybody who listens to our podcast. They know that we're just a couple of yo-yos who are faking it. Okay. <laughs> and, but not the first people who have faked it, faked it. Right. So, yeah, <laughs> so I was so nervous having you on. I'm like, look, here's a legitimate insure tech big shot on our stupid podcast. And he said, yes. So, uh, I want to thank you for your generosity then. And again, today. Um, Absolutely. It's, it's great to have you on. And, and you want to know what? I love your company. I love it. I love what you're doing. I think you're dead on. I, I see you just did a round, right? Yeah. Manchester story. Great. Wow. Big names. And um, congratulations yeah, on deal. that. And but a little angry that no friends and family ask. So <laughs> just saying. Anytime, anytime for you. But okay. I gotta say, like last time I enjoyed our chat, it was it was a great podcast from a lot of the other conversations that I, I gotta say, this is one of my favorite insurance podcasts. So you guys are doing a great job. And thank That's you. Right. That's right. That's right. That, we're gonna put that on, on our we'll website. On the website. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay, thanks, Ali. Come back. Uh, listen, keep killing it and then come back later and tell us more about it, okay? Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Bye-bye. Thanks so much. Great to have Ali back with us again. Yeah. A super smart guy, right? Yeah. It, it, and it's neat to have him back after so many years and to see how he's changed and to think about right. how the how the industry's changed. Right. I think that's a, a neat thing to do. Right. Great story. And I actually, I love his company. I love the, the, the idea of it. It'll be great to watch them uh, through this pivot and, and see where they end up. Thank you to Ali for being with us. Again. For a second time and offline, I think he really wanted to know yeah. what's the swag that he gets for being a multi-episode guest. Yeah, he has promised to come back on to be that number one guest. Thanks, Ali. Thanks you for being with us. Thanks you. Thank you for being with us. And until next time. Goodbye, everybody. <laughs>